And so we want to ask the question this morning, who did not write the Bible? Who did not write the Bible? And so what we've read and what our scripture reading, 2 Peter, we're going to come back to a part of that uh, that we had read this morning in regards to what the scriptures are and who the apostles were and where they got their message from. As they said, they were eyewitnesses and they got revelation from God and they were guided by the Holy Spirit in the writing of the scriptures. And that's the Old and New Testament as is implicit in 2 Peter. Um, and so this morning we're going to ask that question. We're going to look at who did not write the Bible. And in that, I think you're going to gain many, some great things from it. Before we do that, I ask that you pray with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessings upon us now. We thank you for your great mercy and your grace that's demonstrated through your word. And we ask that you help us now, that our minds and our hearts be focused in the truth, that we take these things to heart and apply them and to use them throughout this week and throughout our life. Father, give us the boldness we need to share the gospel with others. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Who did not write the Bible? Now, we can look at who did write the Bible, and we know the individuals, as they are mentioned, in the Scriptures. And there are 40 named writers in the Bible. You've got eight for the New Testament who are named, and then you've got uh, 32 in the Old Testament that are specifically named. I've gone through and counted them myself, and then you have possibility of other um, editors or prophets and priests, other individuals that are not named in the scriptures that would also have contributed. That does not, that also means that although they're the writers, doesn't mean that they, um, I guess, uh, formulated everything. Because again, God was behind it, the Holy Spirit is behind it. But you also have quotes and statements and um, great passages and words that are spoken uh, from women and men that are recorded there. So a lot of times the writers are recording what others have had that they had by inspiration and it's been confirmed by inspiration in the Bible. And so you have 40 named writers and more, more writers than that, wrote a collection of 66 books in the Bible. And I can make the case to you again, there are some that said, oh, there needs to be more books or less books and all this such a thing. Uh, that's a discussion for another time. But I think when you look at what uh, is used in the scriptures, the apostles, as they received the Bible and their, their scriptures, they put it into the New Testament, there's nothing lacking. And in the Old Testament, we see Jesus in Luke 24, verse 44, he says what belongs in the Old Testament. And there are no apocryphal writings mentioned there. And so these 40 uh, writers, over, they wrote 66 books. They did it over the course of 1,600 years with the same basis and the same beliefs. And we're going to see a very core of that this morning. So we know who wrote the Bible. We have their names. And, and there are some critics that will come to the Bible today and say, well, we don't know if this person actually wrote it. But the truth is, everybody who was in contact with those people knew who wrote the Bible, who wrote those books. You don't go into a bookstore and pick up a book and it has someone's name on it and just say, oh, they didn't write this. No, that would be slander. It would be an accusation, a baseless accusation. You don't do that. But some try to do that today. What, we, what we're going to address here, along with this question of who did not write the Bible, is we're going to address what is going on with a lot of people, and it continues to go on from the first century, and it will go on until the Lord comes back. And that a lot of people have itching ears. They want to hear different things. They don't like just what they hear from the Scriptures, what they hear from Jesus, what they hear from the apostles and prophets, what they've heard from the prophets of the Old Testament. They don't want to hear that anymore. And so we read about these passages like 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4, through 4, where, where Paul says to Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
but having itching ears, they will accumulate. And that word for accumulate means they're going to pile them up. They're going to get as many as they can. They will accumulate for themselves teachers. They're going to get their own teachers to suit their own passions, to teach them what they want to hear because their ears, they crave these other things. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. They will wander in myths, things that are invented and made up. Today, our world, you see people going after myths. They don't think from the perspective of God, and they don't think from the perspective of Christ. And if they would do that, it would cause wonderful things to happen in this world. I mean, we may have disagreements on a number of things, but if they would just perceive the world from the fact that there is the Creator and that He made all things, that would make a big difference. But you've got a lot of these false teaching, people wanting to hear different things, whether in the world or even in the churches, and... What's the answer to that? Well, Paul had just given Timothy the answer. If, and I've, I think I've done this sermon before. It's been two years ago. But 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, excuse me, chapter 3 at the very beginning, uh, Paul lists different things that are going to happen in the last days and different sins and different things that are going to happen. And, you know, this is his last epistle, the last one he writes, and he writes it to Timothy. And he says, here's the answer to these problems that are coming right here. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Many of you know this scripture. You can probably quote it and know it by heart. But every scripture is God's breath. And this is my translation. Every scripture is God's breath from the Greek. It is breathed out by God. It's profitable. It's useful. It's beneficial is what the meaning of the word there next. Beneficial for what? For doctrine. That is teaching. For reproof. That is to defend our faith. It is for correction. For correcting others. It is for training in righteousness. The Greek word for training here is the Greek word uh, paideia in it. It means the training of children and adolescents and teenagers. It's for all ages. It's for all depths. And it's for all people. That is, every person who is seeking out God. And so that the Scripture says that every man of God, what it literally says, every person of God, every person of God, so they'll be complete. They'll be furnished. They'll be thoroughly equipped. And then the word is reiterated again in its verb form. He says again, so that they are equipped and completed for every good work. And so with all the error, with all the silliness and all the foolishness that's being taught out there, Paul says to Timothy, you hold to the scriptures as God's breath. It's spoken by him. So it is all true, but you know this, it also provides you with every work you need, every good work Everything I need to know as far as teaching and doctrine for approval and for correction, all the wisdom I need, what I need to be teaching my children about every good work, it is right here in Scripture, and it's from God, and we're blessed to have it. We need to thank God for it. We need to treat the Scriptures that way and respect the Bible. The Scriptures are still there to teach the truth for reproof, for correction, uh, to humanities, to correct uh, rebe- the rebellion of humanity and its ignorance. Forgive that slide right there. i got a lot of typos. I changed that one this morning. But you do see this. And it's, it's a warning as well. In 2 Peter, we, we read from chapter 1 this morning for our reading. But at the end of it, Peter says, listen, you, you have the wisdom from God and it's coming from Paul and it's in other scriptures, the things that he's written as well. But people take these things and they twist them. And they twist them to their own destruction. Oh, we want to be careful about that. I want to be honest. I want to be diligent with the Bible. I want to rightly handle God's Word as Paul told Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 15 in 2 Timothy. Rightly handle His Word. And so we want to make sure we're not twisting the Scriptures, that we're handling them right. And so we're going to ask uh, certain questions this morning. And we're going to look at eight uh, 
questions in regards to who did not write the Bible and also who did. So you might hear this accusation. I hear it from atheists, non-believers. They'll say, why should I believe this, these writings written by these people? They could be delusional and taking opium. They're just Bronze Age. They're primitive. They're goat herders and all this kind of thing. And they're just trying to write off the Scriptures so they don't have to pay attention to it. But here's the thing. The Bible's written. It's written, meaning the writers are literate. We would take that for granted. And when you read it, they're not delusional. You've got poetry and you've got narrative. You've got the greatest work, most influential work in history right here before you. And for people to say, oh, they were just, they're just fishermen, just tax collectors. Look at their occupations. Moses was just a goat herder. Was he? Well, we know from some historical records he was a, a leader um, in Egypt before he left. And when I read the scriptures, he wasn't hurting goats. It was sheep. I don't know if that makes any difference. But the man was intelligent and guided by God, and God spoke to him. It doesn't matter what their education level, if God speaks to them anyways. But literate men wrote the Bible, having various occupations, even though they were often perceived as uneducated. Um, so a lot of people will say, you know, they're superstitious. That's just the way people were back then. They were so stupid to believe whatever people told them to believe. Well, they were not superstitious. In fact, we see throughout the Bible, you see Moses all the way from Moses to John, the condemnation of magic and fortune and witchcraft and luck and all that kind of stuff. And you see that kind of rising up today and you see people into New Age spiritism and here they are going around telling us that we shouldn't be following the Bible and that we're, we're listening to things that are superstitious. How funny is that? You hear people saying, oh, what, I think the universe came out of nothing and came into existence. How foolish is that? It's a myth. So we know this. There wasn't primitive Bronze Age goat herders who wrote the Bible. These were literate men guided by God. That was their claim. And all their beliefs from the beginning of end, from Moses wrote his five books to John who finished writing his five books, their beliefs are all based on the belief in one God. Everything ties together perfectly. Secondly, did godless people write the Bible? This is the easiest one, isn't it? When you read about these individuals, they believe with all their heart, and they live by it. They were sincere. When you read the Bible, you see that from the writers. And so they're not godless, and they're not, of course, they're not atheists. We read Genesis 1-1. We know that from the very beginning to the very end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, that's a very easy one to see. And certainly, none of them would have written such things like Psalm 14 verse 1 if they wanted people to abandon God or they wanted to trick people or fool them or make God seem absurd or anything like that. Because we read things like Psalm 14, 1 and Psalm 53, 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Those who reject God say there is no God. They're a fool and they're sinning. They're living in sin and their life is full of it. And every writer we see in the Scriptures is faithful and sincere. Did those who are inclusive of other religions, we have people today saying, listen, it's okay if you're a Christian, but you've got to be the right kind of Christian. You've got to be ecumenical. You've got to accept everybody and put your arm around them and tell them they're okay. Was that what we find in the Scriptures? Is that the individuals who wrote the Bible? This is what you see, that God declared that there was no other God and that to worship any other was wrong. It was evil. We also see Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus says, I'm the only way. He doesn't say, well, you can go by me. 
there's another guy coming a few hundred years later named Muhammad. Or maybe you can look out for another guy a few centuries from now. His name's Joseph Smith. Or you can go back in time and look up Buddha or Confucius or whoever else or some other, you know, uh, Greek philosopher. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I'm the only way. And he is the only one because he's the only one who resurrected from the dead and can give us that hope. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. It's pretty obvious. So Paul, Paul further wrote that those who change the gospel are accursed. These are things that someone who says we should be inclusive of everything would never write and never have in the scriptures. So again, we see who would not write the scriptures. Now what's the purpose of the Bible if society already agreed, agrees with it? What would be the purpose of it? And that's the thing today, the, the society wants to change it. I've heard about communist China trying to rewrite and retranslate the Bible for their own people so it's conducive to what they say and what they, they believe. Can you imagine that? There are some people today who try to do the same thing. It doesn't really come to be. It never comes to be accepted. These false versions. But the purpose of the Bible is always to be countercultural. It's always going to be there to counter the things that we might hear from others or we were brought up believing. And it's always teaching us the truth. We can't just go by what the society says or what we hear on the news because we're just being tossed about by every wind of doctrine when we do that. We got an opinion one week and the next week it changes and then we're angry about this one week and we're angry about that or we're fearful about this or that. Those things are always changing. But if your anchor is on God and you're constantly reading the good news and not the world news, you're going to have your anchor right. You're not going to be pushed around. So now we get to what would often be more the offensive side of, if I haven't offended you yet, of the study. And so I used to, in sermons past, I would just name different churches that do these things. But this is what we see, number four. Did those who believe in setting Another man or a council is the head of the church, write the Bible. Did a church council put the Bible together? You know, some people say that, say in the fourth century that the church put the Bible together. No, it was collected under the apostles' oversight in the first century. People say that don't know what they're talking about. They don't know the scriptures. But also, those who say that, they want their church to be it. They'll say, our church is it. Our guy at the top is the one you should believe in. And they want to make you think that they, they were the ones that began in the first century and, and existed. And they didn't. In fact, thousands of years later, even there's one church out there that's big, claims to be the first church. They didn't really come into existence until a thousand years after Jesus from the great schism. Oh, it's, it's a lie. What we're seeing in the scriptures is there's no great council or a hierarchy or great authoritative government who's carrying on tradition and telling you what to believe. And telling you how much to pay them. What we see in the Bible is we see this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And he, God, put all things under his feet, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church. And that's repeated in the Bible. That Christ is the head of the church, not any man. Christ is the pontiff. He is the high priest, not any man. Christ said his apostles and prophets as the foundation of the church by their teaching. We see that in Ephesians 2.20 and chapter 3 and verses 4 through 5. We see the Bible describes elders as the pastors of the church. So a lot of churches who want to put forth a minister, um, someone they've hired and put him in charge and call him the pastor. Is that what we read about in the scriptures? We read about elders doing the shepherding, being those that are oversee. So we see that 
No one pushing a church council, no church council for in the Bible. And as you read the scriptures, you don't read of anything like that. Number five, because we've got eight of these. Number five, did the reformers, so the Reformation, we start thinking about Martin Luther and John Calvin, did these guys, the guys who believe in faith alone and believe that you cannot fall from grace, did they write the Bible? You know, they get a lot of things right. And I can respect them for that, but they get a lot of things wrong. And they would never have written here, James chapter 2 and verse 24. James 2, 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. They wouldn't have written that. They would have been, no, no, we've got to alter that. We've got to adjust that. that that's going to come off wrong. People are going to be carrying that for centuries. And imagine if someone, one of the reformers said, you know what, the book of James, maybe we should exclude it from the Bible. Actually, it did happen. Because they didn't like it. didn't like what had to be said. You know what, they also wouldn't have written this. Galatians 5 and verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Wait a minute. You can't say that you can fall from grace because we teach people that you can't fall from grace. And here Paul is saying that. Well, they wouldn't have written that, would they? We want to be very careful who we're following. As we're diligently, honestly wanting to handle God's word, that we realize that there are other churches out there who haven't gotten there yet. And they haven't fully come to obedience of the scriptures. As we go a little bit further, we're kind of narrowing it down this morning. Did those who wrote the Bible teach that God accepts all types of worship? You hear people today say, worship according to your conscience. Well, yes, you, you have to. I mean, that's the only way you're going to worship, I would suppose. But your conscience needs to be guided by God's word, about what the scriptures say, what God has to say. And that's where my conscience is going to be clean because I'm going to obey God. And I know God cares about worship because from the beginning and the end, he's given instructions. Instructions We see here in Genesis chapter 4, and as an example, when we see Cain and Abel. Cain didn't offer what was pleasing to God, and Abel did. Worship does matter to God. And while some people today say, well, you can worship however you want. So number six here, did the Sabbatarians write the Bible? Did those who believe, or did they finish writing the Bible, be the right way to put it, did those who believe in meeting on the Sabbath rather than the first day of the week finish writing the Bible? In conclusion, when Christ came, was that the conclusion of it? We see that for the Christian faith, the Christian Sabbath is our eternal rest with God in Hebrews chapter 4. We read in passages like Acts 20 and verse 7 and 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1. Let's take Acts 20 and verse 7 right there on the screen. On the first day of the week, when you gather together to break bread, the breaking of the bread, on the first day of the week, here they were. And Paul talked with them, and intending to depart the next day, prolonged his speech until midnight. He preached to them and proclaimed the truth on the first day of the week. And that's what we see in the Scriptures. The day in which Christ rose from the dead is when we meet. I didn't know another way to put this, but did traditionalists or those who prefer modern styles of worship write the Bible? And I hear that sometimes. Even recently, I've had an individual say to me, say to me you know, you might get a bigger crowd on Sunday morning if you added something to your singing. Add, an, add a piano or an organ or a guitar or something like that. What does the Bible say about these things? Did those who prefer these new styles of, of worship and were always changing, is that what we see in the Scriptures? We don't, not even in the Old Testament for that matter. They kept it the way that God told them to keep it. And Jesus warns about those who worship in vain. 
who worship according to the tradition of men. And, and Jesus says this in Mark 7, verses 8 through 9. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. I'm not going to compromise God's commands and in his instructions. What I read in the Bible, when I read about, for, for instance, the Lord's Supper, I'm not going to alter it. I'm not going to change it in one bit. I want to partake of the bread. I want to partake of the fruit of the vine. I'm not going to alter that in any way. But some individuals will say, well, what if we could enhance it or make it better? It sounds foolish when we talk about the Lord's Supper, but when we start talking about singing and other things, people seem to be more open to that. And what we read in the Bible is that the first century church, and the command is, is that you sing speaking to one another. And, and the phrase there in Greek, speaking to one another, is reflexive. It means you all speak to yourselves. It's plural. You do this as a congregation. It's a part of our unity. We read that in Romans chapter 14 when we sing. We're to sing as a congregation. A congregational singing and an emphasis on the words as is taught in 1 Corinthians 14. When we sing, we're to sing those words because that's where the meaning is. That's where the worship is. That's where the edification is. And any alteration to that is just meaningless. That's not to make any other judgments, but I don't think anybody who's wanting traditional or modern styles of worship would have written these scriptures. They wouldn't have written passages like you read about in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 7, where Paul says that musical instruments like harps and flutes are lifeless and soulless. Wouldn't have, written, wouldn't have said that. They wouldn't have wanted passages like this, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, where Paul says this, Now I commend you because you remember me and everything. And then he says, Maintain the traditions. What traditions? The traditions that are by and from God. You maintain them. You keep them the way that they've been delivered to you. You keep the Lord's Supper the way that it is. You do your best in that. He says, even as I have delivered them to you, you maintain them. So we know that those who are traditionalists and wanting contemporary styles of worship, they didn't write the Bible. They would have put that in there. They would have said, you know what? Just go with what your conscience is. Do what's going to be missional. What's going to bring in the crowd so that people can hear the gospel? Do it that way. You, you don't read that in the Scriptures. You see that there's a purpose to way that the way that we gather and assemble and worship God, there's a purpose to it. There's meaning for it. So I encourage you this morning as we've looked at these, we looked at seven and I'll conclude with eight for our invitation. Are we continually striving to follow the teachings of the faithful men who wrote the Bible? They were faithful. They were diligent to follow the truth. And I believe this. I'm not going to compromise the truth. I'm not going to give up on anything I read about in the scriptures. I know who did not write the Bible, and I know that those who are trying to be faithful and be diligent to follow what is revealed in the truth. And it's true. Blessed are those who find a congregation who's seeking to follow and seeking to be faithful, just like the writers of the Bible. We want to be like them. No, we're not perfect. We're not that as a congregation, but we'll strive to, to be faithful like the writers we read about in the Scriptures. And lastly, to conclude our message this morning, back to that scripture we started with. Did those who were teaching their opinions about God write the Bible? And I hear people treat the Bible that way and discard it and set it aside and say it was just the people writing down what they thought about God. That's not what we find. We see throughout the Bible from the beginning of end that they claim the Holy Spirit to be guiding them. And so 2 Peter chapter 1, 20-21, know this first of all, know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, prophecy here meaning revelation, 
that's come from God. It's not just predicting the future. Any revelation of Scripture, it doesn't come from one's own interpretation of who Jesus is and the events and, and who God is. It's not one's own opinion. He says, for no revelation, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? hope that you do. hope that you hold to the truth of what we read in the Scriptures. What did men, guided by the Holy Spirit, write in Scripture about salvation? What did they write? I can't change that. I can't alter it. And I know. Jesus says in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. I can listen to Peter in Acts 2, 2 and 38 where he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whatever your needs are this morning, you need to obey the gospel, you need to return to being faithful to God's word, do it. We know who wrote the scriptures, and we know who those who are diligently seeking to follow the truth are. You need prayers and encouragement this morning, you can come forward, whatever your needs are, you can talk to me or one of the elders afterwards. Let's stand and sing together.